Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Dan Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And today we are joined by Lindsay Fredrickson of the Chicago Arts and Music Project. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, well, we would be remiss to mention that today is Halloween. <laughs> it is Halloween. Wait, is that a copyright thing? I think probably if you stop there, it's not an issue. What is that from? It's from Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh. Yeah. I've definitely sung that. 10 times today and I didn't know what it was from. Oh, really? <laughs> um also for context, um Daniel is dressed as a bat. I am dressed as um Jonathan Van Ness from Queer Eye. And Lindsay, care to tell us about your costume? Yeah, I am um dressed as a goth unicorn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's yeah, no way to prove reads, that we're not. <laughs> it reads it it's it's a nuanced costume that is yeah, clearly yeah, yeah. It took God a lot of thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to, I wanted to point that out because it took me 12 hours to stipple the the beard on my yeah. face. <laughs> Quite yeah. the beard. Mm-hmm. And you had to wig on over your undercut. Yeah. Yeah. No, it yeah. was, um, yeah. Anyway, so. <laughs> it was a process. It was a process. So, uh, cool. Well, first of all. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Um, I reached out to you randomly on some afternoon a couple weeks ago because my friend, our mutual friend, Caitlin Kahn, friend of the show, Caitlin <laughs> Kahn, um, she uh, she posted, was it like a fundraiser or? Yeah, I recently just finished up a birthday fundraiser. So I think she was probably um, sharing that on Facebook. So. Yeah. Well, and I got to reading about it, and it's really a very cool project. Would you mind telling us about it? Thanks. Yeah. So, um, Chica- uh, Chicago Arts and Music Project, which is sh- um, shortens to CAMP, we um, oh. <laughs> we are um, an El Sistema Orchestra program um, in East Garfield Park. And so, we offer free orchestral training to students um, in East Garfield Park, so they get a free instrument, free rehearsals, and free private lessons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's amazing. <laughs> um, so um, could you tell us a little bit about, for those who don't know, what El Sistema is? Absolutely. So um, El Sistema is a music education philosophy that comes out of Venezuela. Um, and it started there in the 70s. Um, and it was actually really interesting. The background is that a bunch of conservatory-trained musicians um were frustrated with kind of the status quo at the time and that it was so difficult to win a job, which sounds a lot like America. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah. so difficult to win a job. <laughs> there wasn't enough. And it was all very much for the elite. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they kind of decided, like, I don't want to have to win a job to be able to play this amazing music and it should be for everybody. And so they started um, an orchestra in a parking garage under um, Maestro Antonio um, Abreu. I might have gotten that name wrong. The important part is Abreu. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he was their conductor. And um, people started to realize they were very good. And um, they started to invite their students. And so the students would sit in and they wouldn't be able to play these really ridiculously hard parts, but they would simplify it. And so it kind of over time evolved into a youth orchestra training program where um, they turned out these phenomenal musicians. Um, but the idea was like, we're going to play in an orchestra, we're going to play harder music than we are able, and then the more advanced musicians train the younger musicians. And so um, it's it's really taken off, and it was all free. That's kind of a big tenet of El Sistema, is that everything is um, not, you don't have to pay for anything and um, it's for populations that are struggling. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, most people know that Venezuela is going through some hard times. Um, and the idea is that we're taking kids out of poverty and we're giving them an instrument as a way to better their lives mm-hmm. and give them a chance to um, experience beauty and experience, you know, passion and um, the arts and that hopefully that they will ultimately be able to get out of poverty um, you know by learning the skills that musicians learn um, and so it's um, spread all over the world there's huge programs um, on every continent and um, now the U.S. I think has around 160 programs wow so how did you get involved in this philosophy where did you learn about it I actually learned about it in Rochester New York um, when I was doing my master's at Eastman um, I was kind of in my second year um, slump 
time <laughs> where everybody is, you know, <laughs> all of a sudden you have to come to terms with whether this is what you want to do. And um, I kind of realized that performance wasn't um, the right path for me and that I hadn't been happy with it for a while. And so I just started to explore um, other things I could do with a performance degree. And so I knew that outreach was something I was really passionate about. And, you know, I come from a background that we didn't have a lot of money. My family never did. And so um, I've always cared a lot about people that can't afford what other people can afford. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I wanted to, I was like, how can I teach music for free? Like, how can I do this for people that really need it? Um, And I found the program Rock Music, like ROC music for Rochester cool um and they are in El Sistema program there and I just fell in love with it immediately they um do essentially what I'm doing just all free after school um at a community center and they were also the first time I'd ever taught general music to like kindergarten through second grade which I also absolutely fell in love with um immediately and um I I was an intern there for about a semester and at that point I kind of realized like I really want to have a program like this of my own someday it was one of those things like yeah maybe when in my 30s I'll do this thing um so it's happened much sooner than I thought it would (laughs) but yeah it's um yeah so what brought you to Chicago so I did my undergrad here um I went to DePaul cool so after I graduated from Eastman I was like I'm going back to Chicago I love it there um I love everything about Chicago and um as soon as I moved back I had a really good friend um Laura Adkins who was working at Sistema Ravinia and because I didn't know that Ravinia had a Sistema program and so I um basically attacked her (laughs) and made her (laughs) uh, she brought me as her plus one to a teacher appreciation dinner um and I basically forced my way in (laughs) Um, and so I still work for them, actually. Um, and it's my fourth year of Wisconsin. Now, is that Ravinia. in Ravinia? It isn't. So actually, a lot of people don't know, but Ravinia has a huge education department. Cool. Um, and they serve tons of kids. But they also have an El Sistema department of the education department. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have two nucleos, which is a site. It's the Sistema word for site. Um and one is in Austin, Chicago, and the other one is in Waukegan, north of Chicago. Cool. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was gonna. That's so. Then yeah, what uh, what drew you to East Garfield Park? Well, so a lot of it was just um, logistical. Sure. Because I have to be able to pay my rent, so mm-hmm. um, I knew I would have to continue working uh, with Ravinia, um, and so that is located at Washington and Central uh, in Austin and so I knew that if I was going to start my own program after that every day I would have to be able to get there very quickly Um, and so it needed to be in the area Um, it also needed to be um, near public transit for parents and kids Um, it needed to be near schools and I wanted it at a community center that had proof of um, quality youth programming And so I reached out to, like, I think three different places, and it ended up being at Breakthrough Ministries. They got back to me almost immediately, and they were like, oh, my gosh, you know, we have all these amazing youth programs. They they have ceramics and culinary club and robotics and, like, all these amazing kids programs that have a lot of kids in them. So I was like, okay, so that's good. Um, And they have the... A community center that's under four years old um, and it's giant and has a health center in the um, first floor and a gym and like a fitness center and the entire upstairs is fashioned like a school and so they have generously let me use one of their classrooms to store instruments and have rehearsals every day so um, that's kind of how I ended up in Garfield Park was just this amazing partnership um, with Breakthrough Ministries. Cool. I so I think what is the most um, amazing thing to me about this is the fact that it's all free. And, like, how is there, like, are, are there, like, folks out there with money, you know, with trusts who just, like, are so plugged into the system or program that there's just kind of, like, funding available? Or, like, how how do, like... 
how? How? I'm just like shaking my hands in the air. Like, how is that possible? Because it's it's incredible. Right. Um. So the timing worked out for me. Um. I held off for so long because of the same reason. Like, how do you pay for this? And yeah. my biggest fear was like, how do I pay for the instruments? You know, mm-hmm. like right. Once you have the instruments, you can do it, right? right. Yeah. Um. And so. What ended up happening was um, last summer in June, my mother passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the inheritance um, has allowed me to start to start this. Oh, um, yeah. So um, I am personally funding the first year. Um, and so and I am not obviously being paid for anything. <laughs> um, and uh, so, yeah, I'm actually how it losing goes. a lot of money in this first year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so um, after this, yeah, there are a lot of grants and, you know, donors out there that are really interested in this kind of work. And so um, we're about to become nonprofit uh, where um, we submitted paperwork a couple months ago. So it should be coming soon. And so uh, we can event- eventually apply for grants and um, foundation support and things like that. But I mean, that's remarkable. I mean, the that's for first off, it's so valuable that you're able to start this work and get the like hands-on experience of of actually doing it but also you know it's that that it you're able to immediately make a difference in people's lives by getting in there is is amazing Mm -hmm. and um that's so cool to hear to me yeah so um what has the like have you seen like impact immediately yeah actually um you know, it's as with all kids, some kids are um, really aware of like the value of it. And some kids are just like, this is cool. I press buttons, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, some of them are really, really, really taking to it. I had a mother come to me a couple of weeks ago and uh, she has already seen such um, growth in her confidence of her son that she's going to buy him a saxophone for Christmas. So uh, she was asking me, like, what kind of saxophone do I get? Like, I want to make an investment in my child, and he loves this. And so it was very sweet, and I was like, oh, thank God, it's working, it's working! Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was really good to see. And, um, you know, I have certain kids where, that have just really opened up over the last month, because I only started programming, um, I want to say, five weeks ago. So, um, yeah, it's it's really been impressive to see the confidence shift and yeah. i also noticed i have this one kid that i was ready to pull my hair out like after the first rehearsal and you know it was one of those moments where like as a teacher you're like this cannot continue this i can't i can't do this every day and like be okay and not become a raging alcoholic um mm-hmm. <laughs> but um you know, over five weeks, you know, I've had to text his mom. We've had conversations. You know, I have to do the one-on-one. Like, let's try private lessons. Let's try all this stuff. And the change I have seen in that student is just, like, it blows my mind. Um, I told him two days ago, like, you are a completely different musician than when I met you. Like, he is sitting down in his chair, which is a big step for some kids, you know? Absolutely. And, like, he is actually, like trying to play it now instead of just like sitting there staring into space and like he's not screaming over the class anymore and he's not you know trying to hit people anymore so you know five weeks I'm happy with that (laughs) I'm happy with that growth that is that a thing that you found I mean because speaking to that direct it's interesting thinking about it through the lens of classical music right where so many classical musicians musicians are familiar with the idea of what a one-on-one lesson can be mm-hmm. like but it's interesting to hear from the perspective of working as an you know after school teacher kind of thing um that direct you know is that something that you feel is crucial to that that to the success that you've seen is that that making room for that direct kind of one-on-one time yeah so a lot there's a lot of controversy kind of in the el sistema world Mm. of whether or not private lessons should be had um and so they a lot of people think like the the really big focus of el sistema should be on the group work and i actually do agree with that i think that the most profound social side of things comes out of working in a group and like you learn how to cooperate with people and you learn how to play and you get to play great music like that's a huge side of it you know 
Um, but I personally feel that private lessons are extremely important. And especially if you want to have a really good orchestra, um, I don't think you're ever going to achieve that level of excellence unless kids are getting private instruction. Mm -hmm. I know that I myself never would have gotten anywhere without private teachers. Um, and it also, one of the main reasons I really wanted to have private teaching was because it gives you a chance to have a relationship with your students. Um, and I was kind of hoping it would help with behavior. So, um, yeah, I was going to cause that's something that I think, I think people that, and you know, Maureen, you probably can speak to this better than I can. I don't have the, the experience of, um, working with, uh, you know, uh, less at risk. Youth. At, there. Thank you. The, what I'm, <laughs> here's what I'm getting at is I feel like the, behavior discussion can be oversimplified probably yes. do you know what i mean yeah. where i think that what's people when people that aren't directly in that work line of work use that as a way to not get involved but i find that that interesting that piece of i i find the direct work piece interesting and the other piece that is interesting to me is i mean because that should that seems like it would be part of the system of groundwork because it's not because it, from what what it sounds from its uh its origins that this it is with those that aren't able to afford it right so right. the idea of you know quote-unquote behavior and and how this impacts someone's daily life that maybe you know like in america for example it's really tricky because so many schools in uh in poor neighborhoods are underfunded like right. aggressively underfunded right what i what i think is so significant about the importance of one-on-one -on -one instruction in a setting like this is that i think that a lot of these kids aren't used to one-on-one -on -one attention exactly yeah i think that um they're probably accustomed to large groups yeah. where if they want any attention, they have to kind of make a spectacle. Right. You have to scream for it. Yeah. And and it's really interesting that that particular student, he is so jazzed about private lessons. And that says a lot to me about, you know, he probably doesn't receive a ton of attention from mm -hmm. adults in his life. Right. Um, and, you know, that is absolutely not at fault to anybody. Like, a lot of these families are huge. The parents are working tons of hours. They're trying to support, you it's know, a, a lot of It's a systemic problem. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so... Um, you know, one goal of this program is to provide consistent, positive adult relationships mm -hmm. um, for them and, you know, good adult role models. And I think that, you know, I've had a couple parents. Um, I allow all parents to sit in if they want to. Um, and, I, and I have one or one that comes every time and then a couple others that pop in and out. Um, but I've had a couple of parents like say things about behavior, like, why aren't you doing more about mm -hmm. this? And it's... Um, I, I think a lot of it is like I don't want to yell because I know that it's just um, another yelling situation. You know, they get yelled at a lot. Um, and I also want it to be meaningful if I ever do yell. And um, I, I just I want them to know that I'm not going to freak out, you know, um, yeah. when things go wrong. And I think they're used to like having maybe not some emotionally stable adults in their life always and people that do flip out a lot. So, you know, I well, don't want to be another person like, that does that. tired adults right. in their lives. Right. I They're think, just exhausted. Exactly. And who wouldn't and, be? <laughs> right, exactly. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I think that um, especially in a, in a space as vulnerable as a private music lesson. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that's, I mean, you know, a lot of folks approach their private music instruction as like, kind of a therapy session oh absolutely and so the the idea of like keeping an even keel makes mm -hmm. a lot of sense to me yeah absolutely. and i mean the piece that we always come to in these conversations is context is so important and that's i think the piece the reason why i'm i keep asking similar questions in this vein is because you know coming from even even waukegan to Austin, mm -hmm. the the context is so different. Right. Austin and East Garfield Park are so aggressively underfunded in Chicago, mm -hmm. and that's the the basically my curiosity for you is, do you find and obviously it's still it's still new and um and you know you're working with it how you are, but do you think that there's something to 
that there's some degree of maybe I don't know this sounds so clinical so I apologize for that but Mm -hmm. like a case study or or do you do you find that you're finding something out about Chicago by doing it that by doing this work that has kind of an international programming but then taking it to this hyper specific space you know absolutely um so that's that's really interesting because um a lot of people because all system is super new in the united states Mm -hmm. like it's only been here for maybe 20 years um Mm. and so everybody's like there's got to be a curriculum for this like somebody help us because it's such difficult work it's like but no but how do i do it how (laughs) um and the the thing that's crazy about it is that it has to be specific to your community. So you see my program and then you go to Baltimore where they've got work kids. They're going to be completely different because each community has different needs. Right. Um, And I didn't realize Orc Kids was, I went to school in Baltimore. Oh, yeah. So Orc Kids was El Sistema. Yeah. mm -hmm. They claim to be the the original El Sistema USA program, um, which is awesome. And I've been out there to visit them and they're they're really, truly phenomenal. Um, But everybody wants to be the first one. Right. Um, Who knows? Who knows who's the first one? Um, But yeah. um, So that's that was something that's both stressful and very freeing about the Sistema um, ideology is that you get to do it how you need to do it. Um, You don't have to follow what other people have done. Yeah. But it's also like, oh, God, now I have to figure out how to do it myself, Mm -hmm. sort of. Um, And, you know, I've done... Like I said, this is my fourth year at Ravinia and in Austin. And honestly, those students and the students I have at camp are extraordinarily similar. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, There's a few differences, but it's more just like the personalities of the kids. Right. I would say that demographically, it's very, very similar. Um, and so I kind of knew going in what my issues would be. I did um, intentionally not start it in a school. Um, because I've now worked with rock music and Sistema Ravinia and rock music was at a community center and Sistema Ravinia is school-based and they both have their own problems um, and both have their own good things. We shouldn't Mm -hmm. just be negative. Um, (laughs) But school-based programming, what I have found is that um, a lot of parents see like, okay, I know I have to work until six, so I want my kid to be in something. I don't want to pay for it. And so it's either my kid can go to after school care and I have to pay a little bit or they can be in orchestra and I don't have to pay for anything. And so and you end up with a lot of kids who absolutely have no interest in music, but they're being forced to be there because their parents don't want to pay anything. And so you end up with a ton of behavioral problems because they just don't want to be there. And Mm -hmm. that's nobody's fault. You don't have to like music. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it doesn't have to be your thing. Yeah. Um, But you end up with a bunch of kids that just don't want to be there. You can't get a hold of their parents because their parents don't really care about the program. You know, they're just like, just watch my kid, please. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's it's really hard to get investment from the families. Mm. And so um, I will say my families are incredible. They are invested. And I think that a lot of that comes from the simple fact that they have to get their kids to break through. And like that is a tiny amount of investment that they have to do and so I think that because of that I am able to reach the parents I'm able to like contact them they all want me to tell them about their kids behavior I have found they're very very responsive and I would I have like 20 kids 21 kids right now and I would say that 18 out of that the parents are phenomenal so um I'm very happy with the choice (laughs) to not do it in a school program because that is not what I found to be true um at Sistema Ravinia not to shit on them um <laughs> but it's just you know that's just a part of the, of working in a school absolutely yeah, yeah so. um i i also found because my background in outreach is that i would go into school and go visit a classroom that had its own classroom dynamics mm-hmm. because you you get a bunch of you get a group of kids together and you put them together for eight months out of the year, Mm -hmm. there are social dynamics. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, And so I was just plopped in the middle of it Mm -hmm. to contend with the social dynamic. That already exists. That already exists. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to overcome that. But when you take kids out of a familiar space Mm -hmm. with familiar social dynamics, Mm -hmm. it's an opportunity to start from scratch. Oh, yeah. And I can't... Yeah, absolutely. You hit that, like, right on the head. It's... um, 
I was so excited to have kids from different schools because Mm -hmm. one thing you see when you have you're working in a school, they all already know each other. They have cliques. They pick on a certain kid. They have, you know, I don't like this teacher, but I like this teacher. You know, I know where all the secret spaces in the school are that I can hide. Um, So when you take them out of that and you put them and you like make them make new friends, not only are they developing their own community, but you have a little more control over like the atmosphere and the environment it's also good to kind of separate kind of make it a separate space from school yeah because uh when i was in um i'm i within my outreach program i was always placed with the Mm at-risk communities because i was the most patient (laughs) and um Mm -hmm. but i um i always found that like if the teacher was there and, like, there were, like, if the teacher would pipe up, you know, in the middle of my presentation, it would be, it would take them out of it. Mm-hmm. Because they were like, oh, that's right, I'm, I'm at school. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, oh, that's right, I'm at school where I'm having, where I'm having trouble with math. Mm-hmm. Or I'm at school where whenever I go to lunch, this kid, you know, takes half my lunch. Or, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I, I think it's like a nice break yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Because school isn't positive for every kid. Not for everybody. In fact, it's probably a little bit of both for everybody, I would, yeah. Yeah. I would say. My, the thing that I'm curious about, because you spoke a little bit about how some uh, some kids you realize aren't interested in music, mm-hmm. um, that individual interest piece of it is very fascinating to me, especially when you add the, the lens of, you know, picking an instrument for a kid, you know? Right. What's that process like? How do you, um, do you... You know what? And, I, and now I'm just thinking about music education generally. Like, mm-hmm. is it the kind of thing where you start kids with a recorder? Or? Yeah, sure. So, to be honest, that process is like my personal hell. Sure. <laughs> because I could imagine uh, yes. that's the main reason why I asked. Because mm-hmm. I was like, this I, sounds terrible. Yeah. No, the first week of program anywhere for me is like I, I'm just drinking constantly <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's just oh it's like 20 kids running around with a trombone and you're like don't hold it like that (laughs) um (laughs) like just don't drop it don't drop it um yeah so (laughs) so here's my plan (laughs) um this year i have fourth and fifth graders and i have like some outside like one third grader and one sixth grader Mm -hmm. so mostly fourth and fifth grade um and my plan was okay they're gonna have a week of general music they're gonna have a week of like get to know you stuff and every day i'm gonna have an artist come in and demonstrate an instrument family so our first day we had a cellist come in and he played all the string instruments and they got to try them the second day it was woodwinds and the third day it was brass and then the fourth day and i will never do this again um (laughs) is was the petting zoo um so they could try all of them oh I oh. thought you meant literally a petting zoo. No. And I was like, so that does sound right. like a bad idea. Yeah, don't do Break that. Break from instruments. Here's a goat. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally thinking, like, did you, like, drag a goat in there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Should have. Would have been more organized. Um, but, yeah, so I pulled out all the instruments again and let them try it again. And then they got a sheet that said, circle your top three favorites and put like one for your top favorite two for your second choice three for your third choice and that was how almost all of them got their top choice except for two and it was only because I wanted to make sure I had the same number of strings as band um so um there were (laughs) a lot of kids wanted to play string instruments which is awesome because usually you need more of them than you Mm -hmm. need wind and percussion um but I, I wanted to have an even group because I knew I was the only teacher. And so I wanted to make sure it was like 10 and 10, <laughs> yeah. you know, because that's easier than 12 and 8. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of how it worked out. But um, yeah, when you start like general music as the program grows, I really want to have a general music program because I think it's incredibly important and it's super fun. <laughs> I just I love it so much. Um, and actually for like the last two years I've been a general music teacher for foundations of music um, and I taught at a school on the south side and it was just it's just a blast because they love everything they're just like the most positive like little kids but um, I have a ton of recorders um, and I can't wait to use them I also have a few keyboards that were donated um, and so the idea is that eventually I will have like a very young um, Suzuki-esque uh, string program and then I will have a very young like um, 
even younger than that, I will probably like first, second grade or kindergarten through second grade, um, general music program where they'll do recorder and basic keyboard skills, like play this chord kind of thing, not like reading music or anything, but just find a C um, <laughs> type of stuff. I'm really interested in Suzuki as a teaching method. I mm-hmm. So as a vocalist, I only learned about I only have heard the word Suzuki in passing and mm-hmm. never really have fully understood. I've never fully understood what it is, but mm-hmm. I would you mind explaining? I, I'm, I'm sure may, I, I'm probably not alone in my lack of knowledge of Suzuki. Well, and I'm like probably not the person to ask, <laughs> to be totally honest, because I'm a clarinet player and we don't have Suzuki either. <laughs> um, but my understanding is that you learn a lot about like playing by ear and learning about mm. uh, musicality and like how to hold the instrument. And it seems like from what I've seen, I've observed some Suzuki classes and met some Suzuki teachers. It seems like a really great way to introduce young children. I was going to say. To doing it. And it's, that sounds a lot more approachable than find us like, mm-hmm. what note is this on the staff? Right. And, you know, their attention span at that age is so small that they just want to play a song. That's yeah. like, they don't want to read the music. They just want to put their fingers down and, and, you know, play a song. And so I think bringing in people... I'm not a string player, so (laughs) that has been its own challenge. But I think um, to start the string players younger is really important because their instruments are just harder, I have learned. And then um, to bring in, like, somebody with that background I think would be really nice. I don't want to have, like, a straight-up Suzuki thing because that's just not – I don't know. I I think both are important to have notation and be able Mm -hmm. to do things by ear. Absolutely. And, like, just some just straight-up general music-y things. But – yeah, I have I have found that just to start a string instrument is so difficult that we need to start them younger. And I've been in chats and <laughs> talks with um, Sarah Dupuy from Music Inc. here, which is another Sistema program. And she is a violinist by trade. And her program started completely as violins, like nothing else, just violins. And she had like a 40-person violin class. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and... Um, she started as a Suzuki program and then branched out into orchestra and El Sistema. And we've been talking about the possibility of us working together to do like a young, a young string class for, for my program. Um, and then like working with her to do like full orchestra, like big orchestra stuff so that we can have big numbers and like really like amp it up. And I think that would be very cool. But um, yeah, I just... As far as Suzuki goes, I'm not the person to ask, but (laughs) yeah, it is like, my understanding is that, you know, it's a great way to start a tiny child Mm -hmm. and they're doing a lot of things and they're learning to hear it and learning solfege and learning, you know, that kind of. One, the other piece, you know, the, the speaking to the importance of collaboration, we just talked with someone about this, that, you know, it's, it's that, it's about that recognizing when something isn't maybe your strong suit, that that's a great chance to be able to maybe this is the next step you know mm-hmm. maybe this is a an expansion to make oh, that's a fascinating piece how does it feel to be able to be in the position to make that decision oh god it's amazing <laughs> i've just, i've just been a teacher i've just i've only that sounds weird i have so much respect for teachers i'm only a teacher um i've been a clarinet teacher um at these programs for years now mm-hmm. and you feel like the admin is kind of just whipping you around sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, like just they just want you to come in, teach clarinet and leave. They don't want anything else really from you. Um, but yeah, to actually be able to say like, no, we're going to collaborate with this person because they can bring this in and I want to engage everybody in the process and like really like make this good for everybody and be in that role is just extremely rewarding. Um, and I, there's a something in the zeitgeist right now for collaboration of not just having someone kind of come and fit into that box, you know, right. of there's a degree of I think people more and more want to make sure that there's a mutually beneficial expansion almost happening. I think that's mm-hmm. fascinating. And and the thing that the, re, the thing that to me is super relevant to this conversation is, you know, that seems to me what orchestra like instrumental playing is all about is Mm -hmm. that taking pieces and, and making them a bigger whole Um, that. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the thing that's fascinating about the, so 
when you're in front of a group of kids, each of them on a different instrument, I mean, how is that, how is the um, prioritizing of needs Mm -hmm. playing out? You know, like, do you, is this a situation where do you feel that you more than other, uh, let's say, conductors um, take a, a section at a time, like say, okay, just the strings, mm-hmm. or do you try and keep everyone engaged at the same time? Um, I think that that uh, is kind of just the challenge of all teaching is yeah. when you're doing multiple instruments, especially, um, you know, you're going to have to ask a couple kids to wait sometimes, and that's just part of learning how to rehearse. Yeah. Um, but obviously, I think the most successful teachers find a way to engage the entire group all the time. Um, and so, so hard though it's so <laughs> difficult um, I would say that right now because they're so young and a lot of it is really just like this is the right rhythm this is the right note mm-hmm. like let's start there uh, it's not too hard at the moment because a lot of it's unison sure um, and a lot of it is like all right let's all read this rhythm together um, but as they get older and I've worked with older kids doing it too it, it definitely is a challenge and I think it becomes really rewarding to like teach them the listening element like okay this is your part but let's listen to this thing that's happening at the same time mm-hmm. and like really developing that musicianship of like no how what is this called this is the melody or who has the harmony or like who is this in major or is it in minor like let's hear the style and like um you know obviously really pointing out kids that are doing well and like listen to how this person does it now let's all do it that way um and obviously trying to create games out of anything you can do. Um, yesterday, we're also starting all these new little ones at Sistema Ravinia right now. With like a group of 30 fourth graders all on their new instruments and like none of them know how to play notes yet, really. Oh they all gosh. think they know how to play a G. <laughs> so that was interesting. In um, different <laughs> interpretations of G. <laughs> yes, it's some kind yeah. of G-ish note. Um, so, you know, uh, we made a game out of like... I wrote three rhythm, three four beat rhythms on the board, and was like, okay, we're gonna have peeps. one person will play one of these, and we have to figure out which one it is. And so that not only allows us to like practice reading rhythms, but also we can tell immediately who actually knows how to read rhythm and who doesn't, which became very obvious. It's like, oh, that person just played six notes in a row, and they have absolutely no idea how fast or slow they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but which one has six beats on it? You know, so it was. Um, it was it was fun. They had a good time. They liked the challenge and the competition element of that. And um, yeah, it's definitely challenging to like start multiple instruments at once. I'm trying. I have a student brass mentor who is a former student of mine that comes on Tuesdays and is a tuba freshman at Chi Arts. Um, and she comes and she'll take my little brass players and help them buzz and do things like that. So cool. that's very helpful. And I do have a string. Um, musician that comes on Fridays who plays in the symphonietta um, and she comes and works with the kids on making sure their instruments are being held correctly because you know I'm a clarinet player and Mm -hmm. so I do the best I can (laughs) with the string instruments but um, yeah I really rely on her to like no your wrist has to be like this or this is how you hold your bow and things like that so I can do fingerings and I can do rhythms and pitch but past that I'm not super helpful with strings so what, um, you, this program is five weeks old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what, what challenges have you faced so far? Mm. Well, I am terrified <laughs> about <laughs> funding because honestly, that's just like a very new thing for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have two degrees in clarinet and things like grant writing and budgeting and finding these uh, routes for funding are very, very new to me yeah and they are very overwhelming because there is is there so much out there and it's literally just like hunting for it there's Mm -hmm. a lot of the job um and so as soon as i can pay someone to do that i will let you know Um, (laughs) because i hate it um but yeah so that's that's definitely a challenge i have a wonderful board who is super supportive and i they seem confident that we're gonna be fine (laughs) so i just trust in them um and then past that um, I my string group is actually very challenging to work with, and that has been um, 
frustrating. I because I I pride myself on being somebody that when it comes to large groups, I don't get intimidated by much. You know, I I can walk in and we can have a couple rehearsals within a two or three will be fine. And I I usually feel pretty okay about that. Um, but that was not the case with them. And I kept I I just I have a soft spot for people, and I have a really hard time turning people away when they are like, "Can I join? It's week five, but can I still join?" And it's really hard for me to say no. Um, so I finally had to cut that off after I think week three. Um, and now I have a couple kids that are very behind and, um, that has created some problems. So I've learned from that. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's, that group has taught me that I actually do need a co-teacher for that group. And I think that certain groups are just different. My band kids don't need a co-teacher. It's very weird. I don't know why they're just personality wise, just very different. Um, they get along better. They like each other more. Uh, they don't know each other any more than the other group does. I don't know. So um, the other group has a wider age range. I think that contributes a little mm-hmm. bit to it. Is the third and sixth grader? Both in that group. Gotcha. <laughs> yep. That's part of it. And then... Um, That's a big age gap. It is. Third grade, like developmentally, third grade mm-hmm. to sixth grade. Right. And it's really bizarre because the third grader has more musical experience than anyone in the group. She easily plays her instrument. I would say second best out of anyone in the group. So musically, it's fine. But it's just like she's a little spacey and, you know, kind of like a space cadet a little bit. Yeah. Um, which and so they give her kind of a hard time for it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, oh, she's just in third grade, guys. Like, just give her a break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and I kind of had to shut shut some of that shit down a little bit like a week two. I was like, leave her alone. And, you know, I had to talk with her. And that's where private lessons come in. I was like, don't let them pick on you. <laughs> you know, yeah. the, they're just being mean. Just it's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with telling someone to back off. And, you know, she just got really quiet because I could tell this is something she had been thinking about, you know. And I she was really sad one day because one of the kids was picking on her. And I was like, listen, you know, there's nothing wrong with telling someone to back off. You don't have to bully them back, but you can just be like, stop. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. and there's, there's, you know, that's a time for private lessons. It's like, I noticed this is happening in rehearsal. Don't let that happen to you. You stand up for yourself. Um, and, you know, I obviously jump in when I can. And But it really has gotten better. And honestly, the kid that was bullying her has now, since I talked to her a little bit about it, has kind of come to like, she just watches out for her a little bit, which is nice. Aww. So it's like, now she's like, oh, okay, I didn't realize it's hurting her feelings. It, it was kind of an unintentional like I'm trying to like mess with you like as a right. friend would but the third oh. grader couldn't handle it so it was just it's weird dynamics like that it's it's always you know and obviously I think that working with kids is more complicated than this but it is always interesting to hear these stories where it's it's a lot more relatable than you would think you right. know mm-hmm. like sometimes it's just about kids wanting to feel heard you know I, I think oh, that's absolutely. fascinating mm-hmm. and you know my sixth grader is going through a flirty phase and so it's like <laughs> she's like flirting with boys who are not in the flirty phase yet oh, and it's yeah. like oh please don't yeah. <laughs> please don't get them oh there. just please leave that out the yeah. door yeah. <laughs> please for all of our sakes god <laughs> right you oh, know no. and it's like they'll be there in two years please just stop <laughs> um mm-hmm. don't rush that um but oh, god yeah that's so, miserable it's just a challenging group <laughs> It's cha- and it's especially challenging because I have one kid in that group. Um, all of my kids are um, African-American except for her. And she is Indonesian. And I can tell she comes from probably a very strict household. Mm. And she works her ass off. So she comes in and she is ready to play everything faster than everyone, mm-hmm. more better than everyone. <laughs> she is just like ready. This kid is going to be a rock star. And... Um, you know, she's bored out of her mind. Um, and That's she's so frustrating. It is. It's frustrating. But she's super patient. She's never been a problem. But I kind of use her because everyone likes her because she's super sweet, super nice to everybody. And um, when she's bored <laughs> the other day, I was like, look at Rizki. Look at what you're doing to her. Like, <laughs> she would rather stare at the floor right now than do what you're doing. <laughs> you know, and it's like they're all like, oh, no. Well, OK, we'll play now. You know, so oh. it's just like kind of using the... <laughs> You have to take advantage of the kids, 
the like uh, relationships, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, they like that kid, so let's like get them on their on their team. Yeah. Look what you're doing to Rizky. Right. Poor Rizky. <laughs> she is so bored right now. Will you focus? God. That's really smart. Yeah. So I, just... I think that there's a tendency in education to kind of to I think that there's like a, a, a hesitancy to wade into those relationships. Mm-hmm. Right. Because um, and I, I think that's a, I think that's a mistake. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's something that I, as a teacher, was not very good at. I would, I would be hesitant to, I would notice friendships and relationships, mm-hmm. but I would always be like, oh, I'm only here for an hour. Like that's, it's not my. I can identify, I can observe, but I can't weigh in because mm-hmm. like it's not, it's not my place to. But I think that using those f- friendships and those relationships to, to reinforce information is really is really smart yeah and uh, i struggle with that a little bit because sometimes i think i get a little too (laughs) friendly (laughs) i guess Uh, like you know like i'm i make it too um informal but Mm. i think like the tendency in classrooms and in school is it's extremely formal like i'm teacher you're a student we you know there is no like it's very professional and yeah. I think like the after school time that's the time to like I kind of want to be your friend on a certain level like you still have to respect me and follow my directions but mm-hmm. like we can joke around and we can have a good time and, mm-hmm. and that's why you know I hesitate to get like super classroomy with discipline and like things like that um, but because of that group I've kind of had to um, yeah. you know I've come up with the zones on the board and we move your name from zone to zone mm-hmm. if you get in trouble and like you now they, I caught them like basically starting a rave in the bathroom <laughs> so now they each like take one break at a time and like yeah so <laughs> there's just a lot of things you know Kids. At, at risk at risk communities are an adventure um, but um, yeah that group I now know I need a co-teacher for them and I wish I could pay more than I am I think that's been a really challenging thing too is like I can't pay as much as I want to yeah and I have so much respect for teachers because I've been one for so long and it's like you deserve so much more money than people can give you mm-hmm. generally and so everyone I'm asking I know most of these people because yeah. I've worked with them and I'm like I'm so sorry <laughs> you know it's always like I'm so sorry I can't pay you more I know you're worth so much more than this you have two degrees and you know you're paying your rent and like oh I know because I've been there um but hopefully if they stick around I can pay them more <laughs> you know um as it goes on that's so entirely relatable mm-hmm. like as people who pay people mm-hmm. not enough <laughs> yes it's like please just stick it out. Like, you're so talented. I can't mm-hmm. believe how talented you are. And soon I will be able to do some, do right. more for you. But exactly. You just got to be patient. I'm so sorry. All right. Right. Um, we have a few minutes left before a few minutes left. Oh, okay. so what do you, what are your hopes in the next five years? Well, um, I would love to see this program grow, obviously. Um, we're called Chicago Arts and Music Project because it's not, supposed to focus only on music i want to i really would love to bring in more visual arts and mm. uh, hopefully theater and dance a little bit cool um, i would love to see that i like i said really want to do um general music and an early string program i would love to have vocal music be a part of it and i've actually talked to caitlin a little bit about maybe doing that um and i just i i want to see this program become something that kids can start in middle school and continue through in high school. So I want to get kids into good high schools in the city and then hopefully continue them playing all mm-hmm. the way until they graduate. Um, and I think that, is, compared to a lot of Sistema programs, is unique. A lot of them are very just middle school, get them into mm-hmm. high school. That's what we want. Um, but I, I want to continue it because a lot of Chicago high schools don't have music programs. Um, or if right. they do, um, they start instruments in high school, which is way too late. As any musician knows, you cannot start an instrument in ninth grade. You have to start them in fourth or fifth grade. Like, you just right. have to. Um, no, so. I'm, I'm really bad at piano because I started taking piano lessons in eighth grade. I right. I can't play piano to save my play. life. <laughs> no, same, same. I can't yeah. play piano. So, um, yeah, it's just one of those things, like... You have to get it early and you have to have a consistency. Um, so I'm hoping that these kids stick around. You know, attrition is a real thing. And once they get old enough, then it's sports and, you know, all these other commitments, which I'm very supportive of and I want them to do. But it's, you know, it definitely conflicts with music and they'll eventually have to pick. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we meet late at night, like 630 to 830. So 
it hasn't been an issue. They can still do other after school stuff, which is kind of awesome. But, you know, ultimately, I would like to move it earlier once I can pay myself Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) because especially for the younger kids, it needs to be earlier because their attention span just dies at some Mm -hmm. point. But maybe, you know, the older kids can meet later. I don't know. All these things you figure out as you go. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that's kind of the idea. Cool. Well, we have a few minutes left. So the last thing we love doing with all of our guests is a one-minute plug for anything they have upcoming. Maybe that's where someone could let people know uh, about how to support uh, in in person or financially or anything like that. Um, or we love hearing shout-outs to other folks that are doing dope work or any media that you're consuming. So that's self-care, otherwise movies, TV shows, things like that. Oh, absolutely. Well, um, if you want to come see the kids in action, their very first concert is on December 13th, um, which is a Thursday at 7 p.m. at the Breakthrough Family Plex at 3219 West Carroll Ave. Um, they will be playing Jingle Bells, Feliz Navidad, um, Simple Gifts, and Happy Dance by Mozart's dad. Um, so you can come see that. Um, and then you can also, if you want to make a donation, visit chicagoartsproject.org. Uh, make sure you have the S after art. Um, there's, you can donate there. And I'm always happy to have like visitors or volunteers are invaluable. So any kind of volunteering is awesome. Just go ahead and reach out. Um, you can always email me at lindsayfredrickson at chicagoartsproject.org. Um, and yeah, uh, in terms of self-care, I recently just built a blanket fort in my apartment, um, that has little twinkly lights all over and it's very relaxing and I've been binging, um, how to get away with murder. So yeah. (laughs) Nice. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I've been Daniel Hansen. I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you want to keep up with what we are up to, there are so many ways you can do that. The first is to head over to scopymag.com. That's our website. We post articles, all of our articles there, political and otherwise, um, arts and politics, and I just said that already. Um, I'm sorry. I'm falling asleep. Not falling asleep, but we had a long shoot this morning. I'm tired. Uh you can find us on social media. We have a Facebook page called Scopy Magazine. We also have a Facebook group that we love and adore called Sounding Board, where we talk about all kinds of local news and astrology and other things. Um, otherwise, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr under Scopy Mag, spelled the same way as the website, S-C-A-P-I-M-A-G. Uh, and you can also find the podcast, the one that you're listening to right now, Scopy Radio, under most podcast places, including iTunes, Google Play, and Radio Public under Scopy Radio. And as always, I'm here to emphasize the importance of subscribing. If you head to our website, scopymag.com, and go to our subscribe page, there are a couple ways that you can do that. The first is to sign up for email blasts. This is huge because even though we post across social media platforms, Facebook buries our content. So if you want to see 100% of what we're doing and not just 30% of it, you should sign up for those email blasts. The second thing you can do is you can become a member. For as little as $5 a month, you can help us keep our lights on and pay our artists. If you're interested and in a position to do so, there are some cool incentives that go along with each level, so please consider it. Also, if you are a business or an entity or just have something fun to say and want to advertise with us, please feel free to reach out to us at scopymag at gmail.com. So, give a little give a lot and if you can't give then listen participate and share cool thanks again so much for listening go out and make something yep